0: Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord, and our Savior, who was born on Christmas. Amen. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with Charles Dickens' uh, famous book, A Christmas Carol. It's about a guy by the name of Ebenezer Scrooge and Tiny Tim, and it's all about how Scrooge's heart was changed one Christmas It's a story that actually makes us feel pretty good because, in the end, they all lived happily ever after. But the lines from another one of Charles Dickens' novels more accurately describes the way Christmas feels for a whole lot more people. He begins his book, A Tale of Two Cities, with these infamous words, It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. It was the spring. It was the we had everything before us. We had nothing before us. Those are a whole lot more dismal words. Then they lived happily ever after in a Christmas carol. But you know, Christmas is also a time of contrasts. It is a time of prosperity. I mean, I'm sure you've all been in the stores and could probably smell the plastic burning as people whip those cards through the little machines. But it's also a time of intense poverty in this world, indeed in our own communities. Is it a season of goodwill when people tend to smile at you and say, Merry Christmas or at least Happy Holidays? And yet it's a season of ugly greed where it seems that people are out for anything and everything they can grab. I mean, Christmas is a time of family togetherness. And yet for some people, it is a time of excruciating loneliness. It is a season of light. You don't have to drive very far to see houses decorated like Clark Griswold's house in National Lampoon's story of Christmas vacation. And yet it is also a season of darkness for many. Christmas is the spring of hope. But yet we can also say that Christmas is the winter of acute despair. Now, I don't want you to get me wrong tonight. We all want to have Christmas be the very best of times. I mean, that's, after all, why we decorate and we donate, and that's why we shop until we drop. I mean, we put up trees, we hang tinsel, we cook turkeys, we put together all kinds of toys. I mean, we want, like Burl Live sang, a holly jolly Christmas. Let's be honest. As much as we want Christmas to be the best of times, sometimes it's actually the worst of times. I mean, some of us perhaps have spent far too much money. And again, we're worried a little bit sick about our future finances. Others may be struggling with health or the health of a loved one, wondering if this might be their last Christmas. On earth Some of us could be wrestling With old hurts that don't seem To want to heal And new wounds that just Don't want to go away And still others of us Are missing loved ones This Christmas Either because they live too far away For them to visit or for you to visit Or because they passed on To be with Jesus Or maybe it's just because they Plain simple don't care to be with family. I mean, that's why I think our text from First Thessalonians seems to be so very strange tonight. It's so out of place. In fact, it almost seems artificial. And I'm going to tell you, this is our text for tonight. It is very simply it comes from First Thessalonians chapter five, verse sixteen, and it only says this: Rejoice evermore. That's all it says. You could memorize that tonight. Rejoice evermore. But I know that there would probably be people who would read that and they'd say, really, really, that's it? I mean, if I say, Paul, what is there to really rejoice about? And, and even if Christmas joy is real, I've had people tell me that it must be for other people. I've had people sit in my office days and weeks before Christmas and say to me, You know, Pastor, all this joy, I just don't get it, because i got problems that nobody else can relate to. My parents had a lot of hang-ups, and guess what? They passed them on to me like Christmas presents. And as far as me and my siblings, (laughs) we don't get along at all. We passed on each other many years ago. My job is a hassle. My marriage stinks it's too late to do anything about this mess that I call life. So how dare St. Paul say, rejoice evermore. I mean, how could he actually come up with such a sappy comment? What would you do if you were the pastor and you were sitting in the chair and you just listened to somebody unload that load on you? I mean, how could Paul actually say, rejoice evermore? I'm going to tell you why. This is something I told a a young man not too many years ago. I said it's because Paul knew something. Paul knew about the angelic announcement that was made to the shepherds. And what did they say to the shepherds? I will bring you good news of what? Great joy. Joy. Now, it's not just for some people, not just for good people, not just for Missouri Synod Lutheran people, not even for the best of all religious people. No, I bring you good news of great joy. And that verse goes on and it says, and it is for all the people. The joy is the gift that God that God gives to everyone. And guess what? According to that text, he gives it especially to you, especially to me. Now, I want you to hear what I got to say, and I want you to understand because it's very important. And here is what I want you to know, and that's that there's a huge difference between happiness and joy. They are not synonymous words. They don't mean the same thing at all. They don't mean the same thing in English, let alone the same thing in Greek or Hebrew. See, external gifts, like health and wealth and family, are awesome blessings from God. They make us happy. But, and this is a big but, they are not essential for joy. Now, why is that? Because happiness is determined by what's going on around me. Happiness is what's going on around you. You. You can't control that. I can't control that. Joy, on the other hand, is what's going on inside of me. And guess what? God has taken control of that. He sent Jesus. He sent everlasting joy. Now, you think about Jesus for a moment. Jesus did not have a lot of reasons for earthly happiness. I mean, after all, he didn't grow up to be an earthly king or an emperor. He was not a general, he was not a statesman, he was not an investment banker. Heck, he didn't even pastor a church, even on an interim basis. He was born and placed in an animal feeding trough to a blue-collar father and a teenage mom. As an adult, Jesus had no home. In fact, he said in Matthew, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place To lay his head. Jesus was not much more than an itinerant preacher who went around washing feet. And that's never really been the key to making it big in this world. And then in Philippians it said, being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. I think probably most of you remember from a Lenten season or a good Friday service that death on a cross was reserved for slaves It was reserved for thieves and murderers. It was reserved for the lowest of the low. And on that cross, they ripped his skin. They burst his arteries. They severed his nerves. They brought about an unimaginable pain to Jesus. And in spite of it all, Jesus still exuded joy. I mean, poverty couldn't take it away. Disappointments and rejection couldn't take it away. Even on a cro- even dying on a cross could not take away the joy Jesus had. Now you might say, well, how do you know that? Well, it's because I've read the Bible. I've read parts of it. Hebrews 12 says as much. Who for the what? Joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Isn't that amazing? What does that all mean? Just this, that no matter what your life may be like right now, this one great truth makes everything worthwhile, and it's this. Jesus, the Christ, was born to die for you. Someone once told me that if you were the only person that was ever, that ever lived in this world, he would have still died for you. See, from his cross, he freely gives us joy. Unlimited, undeniable, and unending joy. And it's for you. Now, again, you might say, well, how can you be so sure? Well, again, I'm going to take you right back to the only place I know where you can find it for sure is in the Bible. Because the Bible says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then Jesus actually said one time in John, he said, no one will take your joy from you. Now, why is that? Well, you've got to remember again, happiness is determined by what's going on around you. You can't control that. Joy is determined by what's going on inside. And God has literally taken control of that. By sending Jesus, who is the doorway to deliverance. Jesus, the pathway to peace. Jesus, the gateway to glory. I mean, think about it. His mercy is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His love never changes. His grace is sufficient. His word is enough. His reign is righteous forevermore. And no one, absolutely no one, will take that joy away from you. Joy stems the tide of gloom and despair. It brings confidence in the midst of confusion. It's hope in the midst of uncertainty and calm in the midst of life's chaotic storms. That's what joy is. But again, please don't confuse happiness and joy. They are not the same thing. I mean, there are happy Christmases and there are sad Christmases. It just depends on what's going on around us. Joy, on the other hand, is dependent upon what is happening in us. And if we truly call ourselves Christ followers, the birth of Jesus is God's commitment to send the Holy Spirit who comes inside of you to heal your hurts, to forgive your filth and to redeem your wretchedness. Now, whether tonight, Christmas 2014, for you is the best of times or the worst of times, well, the birth of Jesus, announced by the angels, witnessed by the shepherds, and marveled at by the wise men, leaves us finally with only one response. And what would that be? Well, Paul wrote it. They're the words of our text. Rejoice evermore. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for the gift of your son, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, so that we might be yours. We give you thanks that on Christmas we can celebrate That his mercy is matchless, his goodness is limitless, his love never changes, his grace is sufficient, his word is enough, and his reign is righteous forevermore. Teach us, Father, then, to rejoice, to rejoice evermore. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.